Think of anyone you know. They probably have a job. It's one of the first things you ask someone when you meet them. What do you do? In our society, unless you inherit wealth, you have to work for it. Almost everyone is a worker, but the COVID-19 pandemic has shown that not everyone is an essential worker. What does essential even mean? The first COVID staff mandatory meeting that we had, my boss started off by asking us what jobs come to mind when you hear the term essential worker. And people were listing off, you know, the basic things, you know, nurses, doctors, policemen, firefighters, you know, all the obvious first essential jobs, grocery store workers, etc. And I chimed in and said, Best Buy. And everybody laughed because it seemed so ridiculous that Best Buy would be considered essential. Mm -hmm. But they do provide essential services and technology that make it able for people to live in a pandemic mm -hmm. and find their way and make their jobs work. Kate is my younger sister. She's 21 and as of right now is figuring out her path in life. She works full-time at a daycare and she's also part-time employed at Best Buy. Both are essential jobs. Both have curbside drop-offs and pickups. One for children, one for products. We've wrestled with this category of essential a lot this past year because although they're essential to keep society functioning, workers aren't paid like it, and they aren't treated like it. I go to a large public university where I've been working for a labor news website. I knew about wealth inequality, and I knew that all my immediate family members were workers. But until the COVID-19 pandemic, I didn't fully realize that my family is part of the working class. Does my family know this? What does this say about our identity? What does it say about my identity? I moved home last spring when the governor first ordered a shelter in place and classes stopped being in person. It probably wasn't a good idea on my part, because all of my family members were going to their workplaces every day, but all my roommates had moved home too, and I didn't want to be alone. I learned that my family is very essential to society. None of them get paid like it. They only sometimes get treated like it. And now that it's been a year, I've seen my family cope with this mass death event in a lot of different ways, with the changes at their workplaces and in their personal lives. There's my sister Kate, my brother Ross, and my mom and dad. I also have an older sister who lives out of state. She's a working mother with two kids in school and has had to cope with that. When I was little, my mom had three jobs at one point while raising us. I've had three jobs at one point while going to school, and both my siblings have two jobs right now. My siblings also lived with my parents at the beginning of the pandemic. Both of them have moved out. My parents aren't city folk. They're from a small town in Minnesota, and they moved from that rural area to the suburbs so my dad could have a better job opportunity working with computers. Mom stayed at home till my brother started high school. Like any family, we've had our ups and downs, our dysfunctions and complaints, 
but thankfully, none of my family members have contracted COVID-19 this entire time, even though they do know people who have gotten it and who have lost loved ones. I'd like for you to meet my family of essential workers. My mom is my rock. Mom is 55. She grew up on a farm, and I believe she's continuing a tradition of feeding the community at her work. She works as a lunch lady where I went to high school. It was actually pretty nice having my mom as a lunch lady. Whenever I was low on lunch money, I'd always tell them I'm Carla's daughter. She's been a food service assistant for 15 years, running a salad and soup bar. During the pandemic, school has been closed, but she and her coworkers are still feeding the community while they face job insecurity. I'm a food service assistant, too. I have been running the West Deli, which is a salad bar. And then we have an entree that I would fix on a daily basis and run it and make the food. And so that's what my job was. What is your job now? My job now is what we call the grab and go team, where we prepare food, bag it, order it, prepare it, and then we have what we call distribution times to hand it out. Depending on how many kids they have, is that's how many meals they, they can take. So you're still, you're still feeding kids even though... Yes, we're feeding families, and the need is, is there. It's heartwarming, to say the least. There is a certain amount of... I don't know what you... I, I don't know if it's... Fulfillment? Fulfillment. That's a good word. Fulfillment that we're doing that. It's... Also, not easy to see some people when you have people that thank you. They say we don't realize how much it's helping them. I think we do. We have an idea. I don't think this pandemic is going any way, away anytime soon. So hoping it's helping. We're helping who we can with what we have. I myself am more or less in charge of lunch. When we pack our lunches, we pack for five days at a time. We're preparing anywhere from five to 600 meals. We sanitize everything before and after and in between uses. It's an assembly line process. Has anybody you know struggled with COVID exposure at all? Um, I'm assuming you all wear masks. And Yes. We have been fortunate at the high school not to have a breakout. A couple of the grade schools have had to quarantine, but we have not had that. That's good. Do you Good. know what happens if you guys have guidelines, separation materials? For yes, we have a person at the high school that's in charge of all that. Every night we get a text and it sends us to a website. We have to say if we've been exposed or if we have any symptoms or whatever, we have to pass that. Mm -hmm. If we don't, then they don't want us to come into work and we have to contact that person and they let us know the, the routine. We get paid through the district, but... We're not supported by the district. We run off our own money. So we run off our own funds. So the money that that we get from parents and people paying or from the money that we get for free and reduced students, that everything pays for our what we do. Mm -hmm. So when we were told all the food is free, that we have to give that out, then there's there's cuts that need to be made because we're no longer bringing money in. It's all going out. So we have had layoffs, and we have had, like, I've had my hours cut. I was reduced from 32 and a half hours to 26. I can combine that into four days. 
where the need is more on those distribution days. So I work six and a half hours, four days a week. For Christmas week, the distribution was on a Tuesday. So when our human resources found out that we were working on Monday, they told us we couldn't work on a Monday because we told them we were only working Tuesday through Friday. So we felt that that wasn't fair because then we weren't able to get in our reduced hours that were promised us. So instead of getting in my 26 hours, I only got in 19. Because we're union, we filed a grievance because we were all told we could work. Were you filing grievances? When we had the layoffs and when we had the shortened hours, we felt we needed to combine those hours. Like I said before, you know, instead of somebody coming in for two hours, we'd rather have them come in for four hours on a Tuesday or, you know, our distribution day is a busy day. It was felt that the need for more people and the more hours were needed to be there on Fridays. Mm -hmm. So we thought what we would do is work a Tuesday through Friday. So not only did we lose hours, in our regular work week, but we lost yet another day, which we didn't think was right. They've refused to even give us an inkling if our hours are going to come back. It's hard feeling that they don't have your backs or won't give us an answer. We're sitting here working what we consider to be essential workers and frontline workers and handing out food, but yet we're the first ones to have people laid off and hours cut. We have always felt the bottom of the totem pole. I'm sure it's hard to trust them. It is. We did not receive any hazard pay. They're getting millions of dollars for CARES Act, and you know that they could put aside money for wages and maybe help us out. They don't or haven't done that or are not willing to do that or not willing to even arbitrate with us. That's frustrating, and I don't mean to bash the school district. I know they have a lot on their plate, but we are saying, what about us? I feel like the union is like insurance. It's something I pay for, but you don't know you need until you need it. They're there to fight for us. The district has told me my hours have been reduced to 26 hours, but then you're telling me I can't work a day to get those 26 hours in. For so long, we stand back and we take it. Well, it's come to a point where, you know what? We need you now. I paid. I'm paying. Please help. It's a scary, scary time. You've shared stories with me how supportive your coworkers are and come bring you food and you you almost you know had to drive Patty that one time when her car broke down yep. and yep but you've also said there's been also sort of some hostility sometimes do you think the pandemic has put a strain on the culture and your relationships with them at all yeah i think we're all fighting for jobs we're all we're all fighting for our families we all have not just the pandemic, we have extenuating circumstances besides the pressure and the work that needs to be done at work. You've got to think of grandma too. Yeah, and I have an elderly mother who's will be 95 that I haven't seen nearly as much as I should. I have a husband who's an essential worker. I have a daughter who lives at home who's an essential worker at daycare. Mm -hmm. My son's considered an essential worker. My other daughter is a student and you know she's working too so it's trying to keep some sort of balance 
yet not because of holidays and getting together and gathering and hugging and kissing and it's a worry of who have you been in contact with today and how much can I be in contact with you if you've been in contact with other people Mm -hmm. trying to still keep some sort of normalcy and affection you know if Mm -hmm. If somebody comes over to visit, do you hug them or not? Everybody's boundaries need to be respected. Students have returned to school, and my mom got her hours back, but that doesn't erase what she and her coworkers faced during the pandemic. And now that my parents are empty nesters, when I leave their house now, their goodbye hugs are getting longer and longer. I talked to my dad about his job. At first, he didn't think the pandemic affected him that much, but the more we talked about it, the more things came up. Dad is 56. He used to have an office job in IT and worked from home a lot before the pandemic. He was laid off a few years ago and spent some time being unemployed. It was rough, but I'm so proud of him for finding work he enjoys and providing for us. He started at Home Depot right as the pandemic began last March, but he's been a little frustrated at the enforcement of safety guidelines in and outside of his workplace. To me, it seems like a crapshoot. When the state talks about a lockdown, you lock everybody down then. Everybody locks down. If nobody goes anywhere, nobody does anything for two weeks, then in my my theory is the virus has got nowhere to go. I am a garden sales associate, full-time, 40 hours a week. Like eight and a half hour shifts? Yes. How has the pandemic affected your job? Other than I have to wear a mask. It's hard to wear a mask for me for a full eight hours during the day. I I feel claustrophobic. I don't like it. I don't have the best of hearing the way it is. And it's hard for me to hear customers when they're asking me for something. Yeah, or if they're mumbling. Or if they're mumbling. Mm -hmm. There's been a, a great number of times that I can't even count how many times where people would take their mask off mm-hmm. to talk, to, to, to try to get their point across to me, which defeats the whole purpose of wearing a mask then. Well, I know for a fact there hasn't been the foot traffic in the store. Mm-hmm. There's been more online. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of online? Home Depot does. Home, Depot's, Home Depot does a ton of online orders, and we help the online order pickers. Mm-hmm come back and pick their stuff and pallet it up and load it up and get it ready for when the customer comes in to to pick it up but it's still been busy at times well it's been oh it's been plenty busy i've I'm, i'm learning somewhere inside of me is a little bit thankful that the foot traffic in the store hasn't been that great because of covid because it's given me the time to learn. Has it affected how you interact with your coworkers? No. We we answer health check questions every morning and the last question on there is if we promise to social distance with our coworkers and stay six feet away and you know you have to answer yes if you if you want to pass the health check. But very rarely 
do the associates stay six feet apart mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll see two three four associates grouped together mm -hmm. talking we call that a pumpkin patch because everybody wears their has their orange apron so they look like pumpkin patch standing around first thing people do when they come in the break room is they take their mask off what's the purpose of wearing a mask if the first thing you're going to do when you get in the break room is take it off it's aggravating. So you have the health check thing that you have to do every day. Are there guidelines that you know what to do if you or like a coworker has been exposed? To yes. Them? There's a series of five questions. And the first, I can't remember exactly what all the questions are, but the first one was like, do you have COVID? Mm -hmm. It's like, no. Have you been exposed to anybody with COVID? And that's always a no for me and the third question is have you traveled or what you know something to do with travel mm -hmm. uh, and that one's always a no the fourth question is are you sick do you have this do you have mm -hmm. aches and pains and runny nose and this and that? there's like 12 things on there and almost every day have aches and pains and body aches mm -hmm. and there's sometimes on there when I've got just the normal sniffles, I've got a runny nose or something. If you answer all the questions, it's no, 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 no. And the last question is, is do you promise to social distance and wear your mask and do this and whatever? And you got to answer yes to that. So you answer all five questions right, and it flops up a message that says, success, you can come into work today. We have written guidelines that if you fail that test, steps that you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to call. You're supposed to call the store manager first and let them know that you failed and you won't be into work. And then you're supposed to call your doctor and find out what your doctor wants you to do. And then you need to call your work back again and tell the work, tell your work folks what the doctor folks said. Luckily, I've tested negative and always passed my health check every morning, and mm -hmm. so I don't know, you know, what it's like to have to quarantine or deal with any of that stuff. I know of a total of five people that has tested positive for COVID. Mm -hmm. None of them had symptoms. You come into work and Patrick's not there. You come into work the next day and Patrick's not there. You come into work the next day and Patrick's not there. So you ask somebody where Patrick is and, oh, he's home on quarantine. It's like, oh, that would be nice to know. I was just at the store with Patrick for five days. Why wasn't I notified about that? There's a frustration there too. They don't make stuff like that public. I didn't think that was right. Yeah, someone should have told you. There doesn't seem to be clear guidelines that are enforced across the board for everybody and everything. There's been co-workers that have been out and when they're out that means that staff is short, less people to cover. Mm -hmm. That's why you've been going to all the other stores a lot? That's, that's a big reason why I've been going to the different stores a lot. It's impacted my job that way as well. I'm, I'm, I'm being taken out of my home store in my comfort zone and every store is different so you're learning something and I'm too old to learn. Do you feel safe there? I do. I do not live my life in fear. I do not worry about getting COVID. 
So you can still stay home. And that, that doesn't mean I'm scared or I'm living in fear or whatever, but I'm trying to do what needs to be done to get this whole nightmare over with. At least five or maybe even more people have come right out to me at my work and said, I just couldn't stay at home anymore. I had to get out of the house. I'm going stir crazy at home, so I'm going to go to Home Depot and buy plants. The state is locked down, mm -hmm. which means keep your butt at home. sick then that was God's plan for me if I get it I'm not scared of it because I, I'm a healthy 56 year old that in my mind I can beat it but I would be horrified if I gave it to my mother or my mother-in-law and they died I don't spend the time with them that I used to they don't understand that because they're old. My mother, I don't think she understands even what COVID is, but she just sees that her son doesn't come and visit her as much as he used to, and she wonders why. 99.9% .9 sure that I'll get over it and I'll, you know, I'll beat it. That's just the way I think. I'm still of the mentality that I'm semi-invincible, but my mother is not. You're not invincible. I know I'm not invincible, you know, other than kidney stones. I really haven't had health problems right now. I got a, a bad left knee, but that's because I'm walking on it all day long and I'm walking on cement. If I'd be working at my desk job, sitting on my butt all day, I've probably had this knee for a long, long time. But I just didn't know it until I started walking around on, on it on cement for eight and a half hours a day. It's bone on bone. It's full of arthritis. And I've got a partially torn meniscus. So eventually it's going to have to be replaced. If I can retire and stay at home, then I probably won't have to replace the knee. If something drastic happens to me where I die or whatever, then my wife and my kids will get... Lots of money. It's nice to know his sense of humor is surviving, but it's hard to hear my dad contradict himself. It might be selfless of him to only care about others and not himself, but if he got sick, it would definitely affect him, my mom, and the rest of my family. My dad and my brother Ross have wildly different perspectives, but in conversation tend to be very similar. Ross is 29. He's only at the grocery store on weekends because he works full-time at a life insurance company, where he recently made the transition to becoming a fully licensed agent. Ross is a deep thinker and writer with a degree in philosophy from the U of M. You can't make a lot of money doing that without catching a big break, but it's how he practices making sense of the world. I talked to him in his new apartment, where you can hear his noisy neighbors, and when his roommate arrived home from working his job, also at a grocery store. I'm an MOD, stands for Manager on Duty. And you've been there for how long now? It'll be 12 years in August. Wow. You're a loyal employee. I'm very loyal. Yes. 
how has the pandemic affected your work there? Well, it's weird. I only work there on the weekends. Mm -hmm. It's usually more chaotic on the weekends, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's a busier, and that's why I'm just kept busy. Half an hour of each of my shift to start off with is always catching up from like mm -hmm. different stuff. And then there's just like practical stuff, like filling bags and stuff like that, that mm -hmm. isn't like the experience of what's going on. So it's a snapshot of what goes on. Yeah. And so I'm always tentative when I try to come to the conclusion that something is a broader trend. I know that there's more evidence out there that I don't know about that could be disconfirming evidence than I have evidence that supports the generalizations. We go back and forth between being exalted and being vilified with a speed and a frequency that is new. I would experience that in years, years past. You're able to help a person find that key ingredient or a substitute for a key ingredient that we don't have, saves the dinner, saves the dinner party, whatever, you're a hero. We see people in their most intimate times when they just rolled out of bed or they are missing an ingredient that they just have to go quick and get. So they might not be all dolled up and they're in their pajamas or whatever, and we take care of them. Or on the flip side, we don't have the ingredient, we're out of the product, it's automatically our fault. I've had a woman come up to me in tears and say that she is so excited and so proud that she is so loyal to our store and that we're a good, clean store, that we're nice compared to some other places that she's seen or she's aware of, we're well stocked, and that we put ourselves in danger's way in order to help families put food on the table. In the same day, you'll have somebody say that all of the inconvenience is ridiculous and that we are as compliant with the governor's orders, part of the villainous assault on our freedom. How do you deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> Personally and emotionally, how have you been able to manage that? As a part of my loyalty, I'm very knowledgeable about how grocery retail in specific is the most intimate form of retail. There's lingerie retail where the salesperson of some lingerie might see your bits. Yeah. I'm talking about a dirty, messy, grimy intimacy where we see you at your most natural. Sometimes we see you at your messiest. We see you at your most miserable and we still take care of you and we still help you put food on the table. When people come up to me and say, oh, you guys are a saint. We've always been that. Pandemic conditions have made it obvious. Grocery store workers and retailers have always been saints. The, the working class in general has, has always been saints. Dealing with when, when customers are critical, it's my go-to to simply assume first and foremost that there could be an issue of simple misunderstanding. And that's oftentimes what it falls down to is that they don't get that when the product is out on our shelf we are the last link in a huge chain mm -hmm. where if there's any disruptions at any point of the manufacturing or agricultural process or the shipping and logistics process we don't get the product and thus it's not necessarily the grocery manager's fault that a product was missed in the ordering it could be out for any number of reasons and people that don't work retail just don't understand that simple fact mm -hmm. So it's easier just to say, this could be just the result of a simple misunderstanding. That's different when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, why are half of the self-checkouts closed? And you respond for social distancing concerns. And he says, 
when's that gonna end and you can't say uh maybe when more people aren't dying than 9-11 every other day has anybody that you've worked with had covid or come in contact or um, issues yeah yeah exposure uh, yep uh one of the dairy workers daughter had covid mm-hmm. morgan at the office had covid mm-hmm. but she was very asymptomatic but she knows people this was like week two that places were starting to shut down i had another co-worker at the office whose best friend's aunt and uncle passed away mm-hmm. aunt and uncle mm-hmm. yep okay. yep yeah, there's just massive supply chain disruptions, people's misunderstandings of continued supply chain disruptions. Yeah. Our bag manufacturer stopped making the twine handle bags, and you thought that the CEO was videotaped kicking a puppy down the street. This was a personal insult. People took this personally. And mistakes happen mm-hmm. in the end. It's not professional to say shit happens, but it's reasonable to say that mistakes happen. We've all observed big disruptions in our lives this year, and we've also observed big inconveniences. But what counts as an inconvenience? And what counts as an attack on our freedom? I'll never forget as long as I live. He said, you tell me where in the Constitution it says I have to wear a mask. He said that he's ruined a number of masks because he will bring his coffee cup to his lips and tip the cup when he's wearing the mask on. How do you rationalize the fact that the mask is so innocuous that you forget that it's there, but then on the other hand, it's a symbol of oppression? That doesn't make any sense. It's so aggravating. So what about your other job? Yeah, yeah, I had like a whole month in the office to learn a completely new industry after working retail for ten and a half years. You started off as a life insurance application coordinator? That's the title, is an application coordinator. It's agent assistant, and that's the title I still have, even though I am am licensed in Minnesota to sell. Mm-hmm. And that gives me a knowledge base that is a little bit different than the typical application coordinator. Mm-hmm. Ton of people are working from home at the office because of COVID, but you go in. I go in. And you feel safe there? Not all the time. It's not crowded by any means, but I routinely see people checking the mail, no mask, and it's it's insulting. They won't even open up the cafe until the building is at fifty percent capacity, so the cafe is still closed. How respectful of the caterers that work in that cafe are the people on floor 12 of those people. Yeah. Whereas I, having experience in fast food way back when, know that it's not them that are dependent on us. My standard of living is dependent on the service industry. Mm-hmm. It's not the other way around. We're all in this building together, and there's probably custodians too, mm-hmm. Yeah. and security. Statistically, and it might be related to marketing efforts, we had about twice as many leads last year as the year before. And I'm willing to chalk up a lot of that to skyrocketing demand. That's that's the thing, it's not just skyrocketing demand. It's not just that people are buying 
four packages of paper towels instead of one, mm -hmm. there's also supply chain disruptions mm -hmm. because the people at the factory, even if there's a 10% reduction in the workforce because of quarantine or worse, supply chain interruptions in conjunction with skyrocketing demand and it's both, it's not just one mm -hmm. or the other. So it is really like deep, deep fabric of society changes. We still have stagnant wages since 1995 that the financial collapse of 2008 didn't really help out with. Society itself gets richer. It just all goes to people who are already obscenely wealthy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's why I keep rambling about the social and philosophical stuff from the standpoint of how society itself changes is very interesting because once again i sympathize with the libertarian position mm -hmm. and it's because i'm so critical of its modern political manifestations that i am so passionate and emotional about it mm -hmm. because to me you can't be obsessed with your own freedom you have to fight for the freedom of others mm -hmm. if you're obsessed with your own freedom what you're actually thinking about is power it's not liberty very concerned and worried for my country, my family, my loved ones, but also sort of ecstatic that for the first time in my life, I've never had money worries. I did my final year-end calculations, and even while working two jobs, I read 1.8 books a week. Oh. Got a poem published, and so I've been able to be incredibly productive, mm -hmm. get a new apartment. The potential for some of us to come out of the other side of the pandemic better than what they went in is morbid when we're contemplating within the next couple of months half a million people have been taken and then you multiply that by somewhere between six and twelve and that's like the network of people that are directly affected by the losses and then the second tier of people that are affected by those effects so just this massive ripple of misery day in, day out, while still maintaining the energy necessary to complete your hustle. After my two days of the weekends, when my knees are shaky and my heels ache, I just am in such awe of people who are still working 40, 48 hours. Another level of human performance that we should never have had to discover that we're capable of and it's astonishing, but also very sad. And so that's some of the themes in my writing and in my art. Pandemic, worldwide uprisings due to police brutality and um, maltreatment of black and brown people at the hands of law enforcement. Astonishing level of ineptitude and diabolical deviance at the highest levels of public service. Even though that doesn't get me revenue now, the writing and reading and, and me as a researcher is so much more fundamental to my identity. How everything affects an artist and a writer. You've had people who have said, I haven't been able to get a single sentence down on the page. Louise Gluck had a two-year writer's block. And then decades later wins the Nobel Prize. Both Ross and I, as writers, have been rigorously putting the pandemic through all sorts of perspectives but we're both interested in how our daily interactions influence the network of people around us and how that collectivism is lost amid a culture of individualism. 
as a cultural leftist, I don't like the notion of cultural exceptionalism. When the libertarians are all, the governors got a stranglehold on us, it's totalitarian that businesses and bars and restaurants are shut down. It should be my choice whether or not I want to go out in public. But that's, once again, narrow-minded. Your actions affect other people. Adapting my faith background and realizing the Sermon on the Mount, it truly is how you treat the least of these that determines how exceptional you are. That is, I think, the romantic ideals that the founders were thinking of. Right. We all want it to be a place where that is the ideal. It's how we treat immigrants and, and the sick and the poor and the indigent and the old and the elderly. And how we treat the least of these. chapter in his life as a fully licensed agent, and I'm so proud of him. I'm also proud of my sister, Kate, who also has two jobs. I currently work at a daycare, and I am also part-time employed at Best Buy. Both of those jobs are essential, yes? Yes, they are both essential. Why? Well, daycare obviously provides childcare for parents who still need to work during the pandemic that don't have the luxury of staying home. And Best Buy is considered essential because of the services and the technology that we provide to give people the ability to work from home during a pandemic and the ability to store their food and keep their food cold. And it also gives people the means of technology to communicate with their loved ones when they can't go see them. How has being a daycare worker changed since the pandemic? The shelter in place was a little bit different. You know, there was this whole talk about essential workers and daycares only being open to essential worker families. We were not one of those places. Or even if you weren't an essential worker, if you still had to go into work, you could pay for your child to come mm -hmm. and we would still take care of their child. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of parents were worried about them having to be essential workers mm -hmm. and showing that paper that they are essential workers. Mm -hmm. What Were a lot of them essential? Did they show paperwork? Did they? Yeah, actually, we had a few families that came forward. I think it was like the last day that parents actually got to come into the building and bring their kids in before we switched to the whole curbside operation. There were parents who were already started bringing like essential paperwork to show that they were essential workers. And I have actually a few families that are first responders mm -hmm. or do work in essential. I don't know the actual title of their job, but nurses or there's a few there's actually a few nurses there's a dental hygienist i think the biggest reason it has changed is we do not get to communicate with the parents as much as we used to we have switched to a completely curbside drop off and pick up for our kids i sometimes don't see or talk to the parents for weeks. And I think that is really hard for the parents. They need to be able to communicate with their teachers and talk about the child's day and how it went. It's hard on them. I don't know how much longer they can go like this. Are you allowed to like reach out to them outside of the daycare? They're not technically allowed to ask for our phone numbers, mm -hmm. but that has been something that we have talked about within our daycare is 
if we would be comfortable communicating with parents through email or if they have any questions. I actually do have a few of my kids' parents' numbers just because I babysat for them. And sometimes they have texted me and asked me, you know, how has my child's day been? I am very close with one of my kids' parents that I babysit for often. And, you know, she was, she was constipated last week. And I just sent them a text. You know, has Dakota pooped? at all at home in the past few days <laughs> and they're like no she has not and she's potty training so they were thinking maybe just put a diaper on her and you know we communicated that way and that's always helpful i think the parents appreciate whatever contact with us they can get and i have had over the past few months a few kids who have transitioned from being an infant to a toddler and i haven't had the chance to meet mom or dad or talk with them introduce myself and that's a little scary when your child goes into a new room and you don't know who their teacher is and you, you don't know who they are. And I that's something I personally like to do with each parent. I like to get to know them and I like to be able to talk to them about their child comfortably and be honest with them. And that's something that I like to do is introduce myself and talk to them a little bit about me. It's just harder to get more information across. It is harder to get more information across because if a child is leaving at a specific time, there will be times where I'm able to bring the child upstairs and drop them off outside to their mom or dad, but it's, I mean, they're parked in a spot and it's not like we can stand there and talk for forever, you know? We have very limited time to talk, so I feel like all of the things I have to say I don't get across as easily. So you have to get your temperature taken. Are there any other precautions or safeguards put in place? Do you have a COVID preparedness checklist? We do. We have had several staff meetings on COVID preparedness plans. Probably most obvious transition for us is wearing masks all day long. We are able to wear a face shield instead of a mask if we would like, just so that kids are able to see our facial expressions, because that's very important in young kids. Do you wear a mask? or do you I wear do wear a mask okay. all day. I've tried the face shield. I personally don't like it as much. Why not? I find myself running it into things a lot, and I kind of forget that it's there. <laughs> and it's easier to breathe out of, mm. but... I also don't feel like it's as effective. So what age group do you watch again? 16 to 32 months. Sometimes there will be days where I'm actually with other age groups, depending on if my boss needs me elsewhere because of certain numbers ratio-wise. Like there will be days on, usually Mondays or Fridays, we have a child come who has diabetes and he was in the toddler room for a very long time. So I know a lot about how his diabetes works and I'm working together with the teachers to teach them a little bit more about how to maintain his diabetes. Do the kids wear masks? If the child is five or older, they do need to wear a mask. So okay. all of our school-age children, so kindergarten through sixth grade, have to wear masks all day long or the face shield. They mm -hmm. have the option to wear a face shield. Do, do they typically understand why they have to wear them? They typically do. They understand what they can. They know that there is a sickness going around and that it is very contagious and that we have to do this to keep ourselves safe. What kind of questions do they ask? I had one child ask me what a virus was. Oh. And that one was 
a little bit particularly hard to answer. I felt like I needed to Google what a virus you, was. You're not a science teacher. Because <clears throat> I know what a virus is, but at the same time, you know, I think I just told him, you know, it's a sickness that travels from person to person pretty easily. One of my questions that I also got asked by a third grader was, what's a pandemic? Like, what's a global pandemic? Because yeah. that's a that's a big word that not yeah. most kids know what it means. Yeah. And if their parents aren't answering these questions, they're going to turn to you. Exactly. Like, exactly. Kate. Yeah. And sometimes I do have to say, you know, I don't know. Or I don't know. Or I will get back to you. I will find out and get back to you on that. Because I do not know. And most of the time, I try to answer their question as best as possible and obviously not share too much information. I don't want to scare them. I don't want to make them feel scared at all. I feel like living in fear right now is not the best for kids, at least, yeah. when they're not old enough to understand. Do you think some of them are scared? I do think some of them are scared, not for themselves, but they are scared for their older loved ones, like their grandmas and their grandpas, that they can't go see. That makes it hard. Are you scared for yourself or anyone that you know? I personally think I already had it. <laughs> but there's never... I mean, nobody has said that you can't get reinfected. So I, I personally have been very cautious. In when did when did you think you had it? It was earlier this year, right? It was right? in November or December. Oh. I remember I went to the MedExpress, where that heartbreaker used to be, and they couldn't figure... I mean, they took an x-ray of my chest, and mm. they told me I had an upper respiratory infection. That's what they were calling it before they knew it was coronavirus. Yeah. And I remember I was coughing for weeks. I had a sore symptoms? throat. Um, I never had a fever. Okay. But I also know that not all the symptoms show in everybody. So not everybody can get all the symptoms. But, yeah. you know, I, I still am scared for myself. I just turned 21 and I haven't gone out to a bar. I haven't you know, been able to do things that normal people my age would go out and do if there wasn't a pandemic. Probably at more a Best Buy than with your kids, mm -hmm. but do you have to deal with people who are not abiding? I've never had somebody come into the store not wearing a mask. I'm constantly having to ask, can you repeat that? Or what did you say? Or what were those last numbers there? Or mm -hmm. something like that. I, I can't tell you how many times today I had to ask customers to repeat themselves. Don't you know it goes over the nose too? Yeah. <laughs> so what would happen if you tested positive for COVID? If I got COVID, it would directly impact the people and the children in my classroom that I'm with each and every day. Mm -hmm. So my coworker, Ginger, who I'm in close contact with, would have to get tested and or quarantined for two weeks. I would not be allowed to come to work for two weeks, and I also would not get any pay for the two weeks. Not even sick pay? Sick hours? I am able to use my PTO if I would like, but after that runs out, then I don't get paid. Not they don't sick hours or anything? Nope. No? Nope. We don't get sick hours. At all? At the daycare? No. Why not? You li you're with children. We you get, Children get, get sick. We use PTO for <sighs> sick days. Okay. Yeah, otherwise we don't get paid. Oh. That's one thing that's been brought to many people's attention during the pandemic. The lack of paid sick leave or paid leave to take care of sick family members. I asked Kate about what a typical day at the daycare looks like. 
after breakfast, we change diapers. As one does. Yeah, as one does. Um, <laughs> I probably change 30 diapers a day, if I'm being honest. I could probably change a diaper with my eyes closed or in my sleep. After we come inside and wash their hands, we'll do some circle time. The kids really, really like all sitting together. And it's kind of crazy to me how they're so young, but yet they sit so nice. And they're such good listeners. Some of them, some of them not. And we try to make it as interesting as possible. You know, we talk about the weather. You know, we were just outside. Mm -hmm. what, what did it feel like? Did we wear our coats? Did we wear our hats? No, we didn't have to because it wasn't, it wasn't cold out. You know, we talk about basic things like that. We... Do. What's a virus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny because actually before we were required to wear masks, there was this talk about us having to wear masks all day long. Mm -hmm. And I always thought maybe like the younger ones would always be a little bit scareder, maybe not recognize us. Mm -hmm. They know a lot more than we think, mm -hmm. but it's, it's actually, it hasn't been bad at all. The kids will actually be really interested in it and they'll they'll touch my mask or they'll mask and mask what what's that and you know they're very curious about it mm -hmm. they like to try and pull it off my face sometimes it feels almost impossible with a mask on to get your message out kids need facial expressions mm -hmm. like that has a lot to do with communication mm -hmm. and when they're deprived of even just like the smile like they can't understand what eyes and eyebrows I know. are doing like, i know I'll smile at kids under my mask and I, I'll realize that they can't see me smiling, but I will still do it mm -hmm. because some of them, some of them can tell, the older ones can tell, mm -hmm. but some of them I'll smile at them and they'll just look at me with a blank face and be like, what are you looking at? <laughs> you know, like they don't get it. After lunch is arguably their most energetic time. They've gotten that second surge of wind, you know, like they're tired before they eat, but then they eat and they're like, oh, I'm gonna cause ruckus. <laughs> it's crazy. Nap time is from 12 o'clock to 2.45. We have a song that we sing before we all go to sleep. So I have them. It's the song. We, we take off our shoes and we give them to the teacher and the teacher puts them up and then we say, go sit on the carpet. So they all sit on the carpet and then if they're being super loud, you know, I'll, I'll whisper and I'll go, hey, can you hear me? And they all turn quiet and they'll all look at me and they'll go, yeah, I can hear you. And they start whispering too. It's kind of funny. Um, and then I'll say, okay, should we sing our goodnight song? And we sing, good night, Dakota. Good night, Reed. Good night, Louie. It's time to take a nap. And we do that with each kid. Yes, every day is the same in childcare. Like we have routines. We have a set routine and that is very important for children to have a set routine so they know what is going on so they don't get thrown off. You know, we have routines, but nothing is ever the same. Children always have something new to say or something and new to And that's not you. just pandemic wise. That's just that's every just day. Childcare for you. <laughs> that is just basic childcare for you. And that is toddlers for you. Nothing is going to be the same. There will always be something new each day with each child, something new that they've learned or something new that they've done or something they like to do to maybe get into a little bit more trouble or boundaries that they like to push or buttons that they like to push. 
after we come inside and get their hands washed inside shoes on we will um, usually start changing diapers again again <laughs> again 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 <laughs> can you believe it okay <laughs> being that i have to wake up at 6 30 every day i've been going to sleep a lot earlier i feel like an old young person i get tired at 9 p.m but i'll lay in bed and i won't go to sleep until 11 11 30 or 12 and then i kick my ass in the morning because of it but sometimes it's just harder for me to fall asleep yeah. but do you, do you think you have insomnia i don't think i have insomnia because it's not like i stay up all night long mm-hmm. you lay there with your eyes closed and you're just not tired or you have racing thoughts or a little bit of both normally I think it's because I have too much screen time before I go to bed. I'll be looking at my phone or my laptop or something, and, you know, you're not really supposed to do that 30 minutes or an hour before you go to bed, and I normally do that every night, so Mm -hmm. I think that might be part of it. There have been nights where I will turn off all the electronics, turn the lights off, and be in bed by 9.30, and I won't be able to fall asleep because my head will hit the pillow, and I'll think about every little thing I said and did today. Why did I say that? I could have said that so differently. Or, oh, I should have said this instead. Or situations and people and conversations that I had throughout the day that could have gone better. Mm -hmm. And how I'm going to do better next time. And so, yeah, I think my mind is going at 100 miles an hour. How has the pandemic changed how you see your future? Has it changed how you see your future at all? Have you thought about this <laughs> before? Um, no, I haven't really thought about this before, but now that you mention it, I mean, I knew it before, but it just kind of reminded me how essential we really are. Daycare providers are always going to be needed. You know, that's a job that will be around for many years. Like, I can't ever see it going away. And I mean, I was rethinking my whole career and what I wanted to go to school for and did I really want to be a teacher for the rest of my life but the reality of it is is we're always going to need teachers mm-hmm. we are always going to need people to take care of little ones while their parents go to work and you know the parents I've seen are so grateful for us and for all that we do mm-hmm. and it shows I think we definitely deserve to get paid more The work that we do is unmatched and is going to affect them for the rest of their lives. And, you know, it affects the parents. Do you think the pandemic will make people realize that teachers and child care workers need to be paid more? I do think that the pandemic has opened a lot of people's eyes and made people realize how essential we really are. And that, you know, the work that we do is worth a lot more than what we're getting paid. Mm -hmm. I think I do not get paid enough to deal with what I deal with honestly 30 diapers a day yeah (laughs) you couldn't pay some people to take to do it to change a diaper I've always said one day maybe I'll own my own daycare and I'll be the director of my own daycare I think that would be a lot of fun because I would have the interaction with the kids Um, I wouldn't be one-on-one with them all the time but I would also have interaction with the parents um, learning how to manage staff Mm -hmm. and learning how to run my own business mm-hmm. and I think that would be really cool one day well I have a few friends who went to business school so they could give you pointers I may need them Kate is the future of childcare.
but she's also very much the present. She said this is something our kids one day will be reading about in textbooks. The writer Annie Dillard once wrote, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Talking to my family about their jobs and what their days are like made me realize a lot of things. How our days are made up of micro-interactions. How the next encounter you make could have enormous possibility in the life of the person with whom you're interacting. I hope you thought about the essential workers you know or interact with in your day-to-day -day lives. I hope you can recognize them as people with families and loved ones to protect. People with worries that keep them up at night. People with dreams that have worth all on their own. Not just because they provide you with convenient goods, services, or products. If someone has children, they're affected by people like my sister, childcare workers, and lunch ladies like my mom, and grocery workers like my brother. If someone needs to fix their house, they go somewhere like Home Depot. We really do depend on each other every day. You depend on people who depend on others, and they have people who depend on them. Companies obviously depend on their employees, but we, as loving, living, breathing humans, depend on them too. <laughs> 